Love the enthusiasm. It's the way to get me hyped up. <laughs> well, good morning, New City. Uh, my name's Gabe. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, excited to be with you here on this uh, Palm Sunday where we remember uh, when Jesus came into the city, um, to the city of God's people, um, and, and he was welcomed, um, but that began the, the beginning of Holy Week, uh, the week of his crucifixion and death, um, and then eventually his resurrection. So this is the beginning of the biggest week in our celebration as, as Christians, so just an honor to, uh, to talk with you this morning. And I'm excited about this message. Uh, I feel like I've been preaching it to myself all week. I feel like God's been um, reviewing things in my heart, and I've just been praying for each of you, um, and as many of you by name as I could, um, just, just that God would meet you this morning as, as well. And I think just keeping that image of King Jesus coming into the city um, today, and, and the, one of the questions we're going to look at today is, um, are you ready to welcome King Jesus into your life um, and for some of you, that might be for the first time, and for many more of you, that may be um, the next step on your journey with Jesus. And we're going to talk in, in that kind of language that I want to invite you to see that your spiritual um, part of your life really, I think, is aptly described as a journey. And so as I was thinking about this idea, I was thinking about my own life and story, and I, I thought about an experience that I had. Uh, when I was 17 years old, I, I graduated from South Mecklenburg High School, go Sabres. I know we have some Sabres in the house, all right. Um, and, uh, and I went to West Point um, to become a, a soldier. Um, and so that first summer, it's called Beast Barracks, and you can kind of get an idea of what that experience is from, from the name. Not a super pleasant experience. They, you know, kind of, you get up there and they basically, you know, turn you in from a, a, a civilian into a soldier. So they, you know, shave your head and give you new clothes and all that. You can see I went ahead and kept the look in terms of the haircut. Um, it, it just fit and it stuck with me. Um, and so that, that was an eight-week first experience. And I'd never been through anything like that. But I remember thinking that this was kind of a, a one-shot thing. Like the whole time I just thought, man, if I can just get through this eight weeks, um, that'll be awesome. And then I can kind of get back to like life as, as normal. And I remember on the first day, like one of the things that they had us do is raise our right hand and we took an oath, an oath of office. And that was a, you know, making a decision that, hey, I'm choosing to enter into a, a new way of life here. And I'm choosing to lay down some of my own preferences and freedoms. And I want to I wanna become a, a soldier in the army. Um, but my orientation to that as a 17-year-old was very much like, um, okay, made it through the hard part. Um, now let's just get to the, the benefits of, of that. And so Beast Barracks ended and the academic year started and it is a, a university kind of setting. And, and so we start classes and things like that. And I thought, I know how to do this. I know how to go to school. I know how to be a student. So I was kind of for the first three or four weeks going about life as I had done it in high school. It's just I had you know a new haircut and a new uniform, but I was really kind of just living the way that I uh, lived before. And uh, at West Point, it's all about leadership. And so there's a, a, another, like every cadet has another cadet responsible for them. And so as a, as a freshman, the guy that was responsible for me is a guy I'll never forget, Mike Monaco. Um, and I remember one, one morning, about three, four weeks into that academic year, there came a knock at my door about five in the morning. 
And it was, it was louder than that, but I didn't want to scare you guys. Um, and, and it was Mike, and he's like, you know, get up, Cadet Smith, get up out of bed, what are you doing? And he goes, hey, when's the last time you went running? And I was like, well, in, in Beast Barracks, sir, he's like, unacceptable, soldiers run, you know? And so he got me up, and we went running five miles a day for like a lot of weeks after that. And... Um, and what I realized was that though I had made this decision to take that oath of office and become a soldier, I had not yet like, aligned the decisions of my life with, with that decision. And so I was living out of integrity, and I was thinking about that, and I was thinking, you know what, like, that's so much the case in our Christian lives as well, isn't it? Um, that, that we can so easily make a decision to follow Jesus. Like, you know what? Like, we have this moment where we decide, I, I, I want to lay down my life. I want to follow you, Lord. But then maybe, like, some of you, and I definitely identify in this, like, you know, you make that decision, but then at a certain point, you go back to life as usual. And so there's this lack of integrity between the decision that you've made and the life that you're, you're living. And so the question I want to invite us to ask this morning is a question I've been asking myself all week is that if I'm a Christian, why is my life still a mess? If I'm a Christian, why is my life still a mess? And I don't know if um, some of you can, can resonate with that question. I can tell you that it deeply resonates with me because I often feel like my life is still a mess. Things aren't as they should be. And I think the book of James that we've been studying, you know, it's a book of wisdom. It's a book about like how to, how to live out uh, the truths of the gospel, the truths of the good news. And I think really all along uh, as we've been studying it, James has been asking this question, if I'm a Christian, why is my life still a mess? And really already he's answered um, two parts of that, but more from the outside in, you know, he said, hey, in this world, you'll have trouble, right? You'll have trials, you'll have tribulations. And what he said to us so far is like, those aren't gonna go away. That's what Jesus said. That's what James reminds us is that trials, that hard things aren't gonna go away. In life, you're gonna have difficult circumstances. What he's invited us to is to reframe that and say, um, you know what? See trials, see difficult things as a way that you're gonna become like Jesus as a part of your you're becoming like him, right? So he's reframed that. He's also said, hey, in, in this world, you're gonna be tempted. Remember, Chris talked about that last week, this idea that God doesn't tempt, a, tempt us, but there is evil that's very real and very personal that comes after you and seeks to devour you, and that that's not going away, you know? And so if, if, if you're waiting for hard things to go away, if you're waiting for uh, personal evil, like, to go away, like, that's not gonna happen. And so... Um, We've learned so far in the book of James that we, we need to reframe our orientation to trials and temptations and that we can learn to live in light of that reality, this side of eternity. But today I want to ask that same question. If I'm a Christian, why is my life still a mess? But I really want to look at that um, in our verses this morning, 19 through 25, um, as an exploration of, of our life can be a mess because of things wrong on the inside. Not, not trials and tribulations and temptations on the outside, but things on the inside because the reality is that many of us have not aligned the daily decisions of our life um, in line with the teachings of Jesus. And so I'm, just, I'm gonna warn you that today is, is, is a little bit of a difficult message in the sense that um, if, if, if you're really listening and if God's really opening your heart, you'll probably be convicted a little bit today. 
you'll probably see a little bit today of like, there's, there's a lack of integrity in the way I'm living my life. Um, but take heart. Um, we're going to end on encouragement, okay? So just warning you, there's, you may be convicted today, but you will be encouraged before you, you leave. Um, so as we look at this um, question before us, firstly, I want to invite you to the idea that uh, your Christian life is a journey. And so much of the time in our culture, I think we think about arriving, but we don't think about like being on the way. Because we really like view success and like what it, what it looks like to um, matter in the world as arriving in a place. Like we arrive in a position, we arrive in a relationship, you know, that we arrive in knowledge that like now I'm good, you know. I have the status, I have the thing, I have the relationship. But life with Jesus isn't so much like that. It's a journey that uh, we make a decision to follow Jesus, but then we move along the way towards an integrated life that ought to be marked by wholeness, peace, and joy. And the beginning of this journey, though, is a very important thing, and I want to visit, kind of back up a little bit and look at verses 17 and 18, which was from last week, but I want to visit that first because the beginning of our journey, of our journey is this idea of identity, of identity. And so for some of you today, um, you haven't made that decision to start following Jesus yet. Maybe you're just exploring faith. Maybe you're a spiritual person, but you're not sure about Jesus. Um, and maybe some of you, you might have been hanging around the church a long time, but just remember that like being part of the church doesn't mean that you're following Jesus or you've made that decision. So if, if you're in kind of that category of like you haven't decided this yet, these verses are for you because this is the beginning of our relationship with Jesus. I'm gonna read it and I wanna explain why this is our identity. So James says, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. And this is the important part. He chose to give us birth. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. So I just want you to like, let that sink in for a minute. So God, who created the whole universe, if you've ever been outside at night and you look up in the sky and you see all these stars, just imagine that the God who made every single star in the heavens, right, he chose to give us birth by giving us his true word. Well, what's his true word? His true word, right, is Jesus. Because as Christians, we believe truth isn't just a set of propositions like philosophy. It's a living person who embodies that truth. And because of what he did for us, um, he gives us life um, because of what he did on the cross. So he chooses to give birth to us by giving us Jesus. And then he says, and we out of all creation became his prized possession. And I just want to sit there for a minute. Is this the way that you think about yourself? Whether you've decided to follow Jesus or not, I just want you to ask that question in your heart right now. Is this the way you think about yourself? That God's intention for you is that you would be his prized possession. I mean, there's not a more significant idea in the world. Remember, Chris last week gave us a beautiful image of the idea that God has, his, has your picture in his wallet. I think that's profound. But our, the beginning of our life with Jesus is getting our identity straight, that you're made to be a son or a daughter of the king, and that he chose to give 
new birth to you, right, which is a spiritual birth um, that where you say, um, I'm, I'm choosing not to do life on, on my own. I'm gonna lay down my preferences and I'm gonna choose to follow King Jesus. I, not my way, Jesus, but your way. And, and I wanna invite you to take that place of authority in my life. And so if you've never done that before, um, see this as an opportunity, is that the beginning of a spiritual journey is to find your true identity in Jesus. And I wanna call this a discovery of your true identity. And this is the beginning of, the, of that journey. So go back to our question. If I'm a Christian, why is my life still a mess? One answer could be that you don't yet understand your true identity. You know, you're, you're still finding your identity in other things that are smaller things. We call those idols. We talk about that a lot. Some of us are still trying to find our identity in our work. Some of us are still trying to find identity in relationships, um, in how much we have in our wealth, right? There's a lot of ways that we can try to find our identity, but all of them are too small. That you were made to be the creator of the universe's prized possession, and that's true of you today. And so that's the beginning, and that's the first answer. If you're a Christian and you think, why is my life still a mess? The first question is, have you, have you really owned that your true identity is your God's prized possession? And are you living out of that truth every day? Um, and I want to tell you a quick story about my own journey, all right? Um, so you know I'm not just like preaching at you, I'm preaching to myself, right? We're having a conversation together. Um, because I became a Christian when I was 14 years old. When I was 14 years old, um, I was at a, a beach retreat. I think I've told this story before. And I'd heard, you know, I'd been in church, heard the stories, all that. But there was this moment where I realized that this truth, that, that Jesus died for me in my place, that I couldn't do it on my own. There wasn't anything I could do to measure up to, to, to God's perfect standard, but that Jesus had died for me. And then what really hit me was that he loved me and that I was his prized possession. When I was 14 years old, I understood that for the first time. And I prayed a simple prayer, Jesus, I want you to be king of my life, right? And he um, began this journey with me at 14. And then I went about my life and um, you know, went to the military and did all these things. And I, the story I want to tell you is when I was 40 years old. So 14 and then 40 years old. And by this time, I've been to seminary, actually, finished seminary. I'm now a pastor. I'm now serving in South Africa. I started a ministry there where I was discipling a lot of other people. So in some ways, I'm like a professional Christian at this point. And I think sometimes we look at people like that, you know, in those positions, say, man, that person really must have it together. You know, that, that person must really have it figured out. That, that person's life isn't a mess. And I can tell you that's not true. That's not true. Because what I discovered when I was 40 years old is that though I had accepted Jesus, though my eternity was secure, that if I died tomorrow, I knew exactly where I was going to go. But um, I had this moment where I realized that I was not finding my identity in, in Jesus that I was still trying to find my identity in my achievements and in my accomplishments, and it was crushing me. And I remember, and I want to tell you a story about two guys that came into my story, and these guys are Dale and Gary, and I think we're going to put a picture of them up there. And um, these are uh, also pastors and friends, and this is in one of my favorite seaside towns called Hermanus in South Africa. If you ever have a chance to go there, come and see me, I'll tell you. 
where all the great places are to go see the whales and stuff um, there. But when Dale and Gary came, they came and, and led a spiritual retreat in our community. And a funny thing was the retreat was on finding your Christian identity, and I was the leader. And so we had this retreat, and it was powerful, and people really responded to it. And after it was over, they took me out for a cup of coffee. And I thought, we're just going for this cup of coffee um, so we can talk about how great this went, you know, and, and, and also probably like what an amazing leader I was because, you know, I had my act together. So we go to coffee, and they look at me, and they're like, um, hey, uh, we don't think that you figured out that God loves you. And we see that you're not operating out of that. Um, and, and we want to help you. And so what we want to do is we want to come back in three weeks' time. Now, keep in mind, this is Cape Town, South Africa. They're in the United States. And what they proposed just blew my mind. They said, in three weeks' time, we want to come back, pay our own money, come back here, and we just want to spend a week with you. And, and we just want to sit with you, and we just want to hear your story. And, and what we really want to talk to you about is, is your identity in Jesus, because we don't think you've figured that out yet. And you know all these things and you're leading great things, but you haven't figured this out. And we see that instead of trusting God, you're still striving and, you're, and it's wearing you out. And, and you know, my first reaction was um, I was embarrassed. And I was like, that's not true. It's not true. But their proposal was so crazy. I said, yes, come back. Um, and they did, and I spent probably one of the mo more powerful weeks of my life with these two men, and they walked me through my story, and I began this next part of my journey to an integrated life, because I realized that I had not yet grabbed on to this truth that my identity is in who Jesus says that I am, that he chose me, that he gave me new birth, and that I am part of his prized possession, and that rocked my world, and later I'll tell you more of that, that story. But I just want to say that to encourage you, wherever you are in life, no matter how long you've been a Christian, if you hear that and you're like, man, something's resonating with me in that, that, you know, if I'm honest with myself, I'm finding my identity and all these other things, and it's wearing me out. And if I'm honest with myself, I say, you know what, my life really does feel like a mess because it feels like I'm, I'm still trying to make it work and function. And I just want to say to you, like, that's not the life that Jesus has for you. He died to give you wholeness and peace and joy, and that begins with this idea of deep identity in him. Well, part of my story when I met Dale and Gary, part of what emerged was I began to see myself as I was. Um, I began to see Jesus as he was. And part of what I saw in myself was that I had an, an angry heart, that though on the outside, if you had met me, you know, I would have smiled and like said the right things and done the right things, but that underneath there was this there was this bitterness and anger and ego um, operating underneath, and it was destroying me. Um, and so I want to I move in our passage, as we move into verse 19 through 21, I want to invite you to see these verses as really a teaching on our posture and relationships. And this is the step two in our journey with Jesus. So maybe you figured out identity, but the next move is that we're invited, once we know who we are, um, in, in Jesus, that then we're invited to have this certain like way of showing up in relationships, and first in our relationship with God, but also in our relationship to others, and I just want to point out that those are connected, in case you haven't heard that before, is that 
the way you relate to other people and the struggles that you have with other people also probably show up in your relationship with God too. If you struggle trusting people, you probably struggle trusting God as, as well. Um, and so I want to read these verses and talk about our posture in relationships. So uh, verse 19, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Okay, what is this talking about? Well, there's kind of two meanings. The first meaning, meaning is obvious, right? It's wisdom literature. This is throughout the scriptures. There's a couple of Proverbs that say the same thing. And it's this idea that you have, you've heard it before, you have two ears, one mouth. So, you know, probably you heard that from your kindergarten teacher, you know, listen more than you talk. And that's good teaching, right? That's helpful. We know this in relationships that if, we're, if, we, if we listen more than we talk, that's just wisdom that helps us in relationships because when we run off at the mouth, right? Things rarely go well. Um, at least that's what my wife tells me. So, but I want to I invite you to this idea that there's a deeper meaning in these verses that I think is, is, is pretty profound. And that's that what James is setting up is kind of this dichotomy that there's, there's two ways of showing up in the, in the world relationally. That on the one hand, there's an angry, proud spirit, right? And on the other hand, there's a listening and humble spirit. And these are really the two choices that we have. And so as we think about, if I'm a Christian, why is my life still a mess? Part of the reason could be that the way that we're showing up in relationships is not aligned uh, with our identity in Jesus. And I don't know if you've heard that before, but as you're, as you're thinking about maturing as a Christian, it has everything to do with the way you show up in relationships. So let's look at these two postures, angry and proud versus listening and humble. And this is the part I warned you about, that you, know, you may feel convicted. And I just, I just wanna invite you, if that's you, because you're not alone, that was me all week as I'm reading this, um, is, is, is God may be saying to you, you know what, there's a piece of you that's angry and proud that's under the surface. And you know what, it's not working for you. Um, and, if, and, and if that's you, I just want to invite you to be open to that and not like beat yourself up and not reject that, but maybe receive that as a word from the Lord to you this morning. So let's talk about what does an angry, proud spirit look like? Well, first of all, James says that there's, there's an element of this that it's quick, the anger that's quick, that starts off fast, Right? Um, that's, that's a part of what we're talking about here. So if you're a person who like gets angry, you find yourself getting angry really fast, that you can ramp up really fast, okay? Then that's a kind of posture in your relationships that's, that's, that's not helpful. And James says that human anger, and this is so powerful, does not produce the righteousness that God desires. What is righteousness? It's like living rightly, God's standard, right, in the world. That like if we all lived righteously, there would be no conflict, right, in the world. There'd be no conflict in relationships because God's way is the perfect way. And sometimes in anger, we think, you know what, my anger is going to solve this thing you know what? It's not. It's not going to solve it. Now, there is a kind of anger that's healthy. We're not going to spend a lot of time on that today because most of our anger is unhealthy. There is an anger that's made to protect, like an anger when you're protecting your child, 
and somebody threatens your child and you feel angry, like, and that's measured, right? And it's not quick, but it's measured and it's for the purpose of protecting another person, like that can be a healthy anger. Jesus was angry in a righteous way. But right now, I just wanna invite you to this idea that most of our anger is unhelpful in our relationships, okay? And particularly anger that's quick. I wanna invite you to this idea that most of our anger is really about control. Is that an angry heart, a proud heart, is really about control. So if you find yourself as a person who's trying to control your world, Okay, maybe you resonate with this. Um, that, that, that you just get really upset when things don't go your way, when people don't do uh, the things that you want, when they don't behave the way you want, and then your, your reaction is quickly you know, elevated to this angry posture. Um, and if, if that's you, then maybe control is at the heart of that. You know, this kind of anger is often driven by fear is that we're afraid of the world, we're afraid of things, and so our way of like alleviating that fear is to grab control and to have this posture of, of, of anger and really about us and that it's proud that we, our way is the right way. Um, if, if, if you're in this camp, a lot of times light, uh, your life will be marked by unhappiness, to be honest, just um, regular unhappiness all the time. Um, part of this is that I think when we have this kind of heart, we either love confrontation or we reject it completely. So, you know, what does that look like? Well, a person who kind of has this posture, like just loves confronting people, you know, loves getting in there and coming at you, you know, and um, super unhelpful and destructive in relationships. Or also it could be the other way is that, you know, I'm, not, I'm so fed up, I'm not gonna, I'm not entering into conflict at all. I'm gonna reject it entirely, which is also completely unhelpful. Um, this person usually can't take criticism very well. And then here's the one that I really want to camp on for a minute, is that when we have an angry and proud heart, every one of my beliefs is a major belief. Every one of my beliefs is a major belief. And I think we see this playing out in our culture so much because this is going back to that idea of identity, right? Is that when we're finding our identity in anything but Jesus, then what does that lead to from a position of beliefs? It means like then my beliefs are my identity and so I have to defend them at all costs. Because if, if I'm wrong, then who I am is at stake, right? And this is the problem when our life isn't um, hidden in Christ. So I wanna just point out some areas where this could be true and that I think are true in our culture oftentimes. And, and the first one is in our politics. And we see this, right, very often which is interesting because the people that James is writing to in this letter, guess what their circumstance is? Um, they've been scattered, why? I mean, physically scattered because of politics, because there's you know, an oppressive government that's coming in, there's internal fighting within the Jewish system, and so there's a lot of political things happening that have caused a lot of pain and sorrow um, for the people that James is writing to, and so, his teaching that human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires is really getting at this idea. If you think that you have the right solution in your politics and you're putting everything on that, right, and you're willing to destroy relationships over that belief and you're willing to get like quickly angry, right, and destroy other human beings, like emotionally destroy them, verbally destroy them, excise them from your life, I just... I wanna say like, this is not the kind of posture that God is gonna honor. And it's not gonna to lead to what you think it's gonna to lead to. 
It's not going to fix the world. And we, we, we convince ourselves that, boy, if everybody would just believe what I believe in the realm of our politics, right, then, like, every society would be good. We'd have no conflict. But it's a lie. It's not true. And so if, if your beliefs in this area is a belief that's destroying relationships, if your belief in this area is something that's, that's causing so much angst in you that you're not living at peace, I just want to say to you, like, Jesus is inviting you to lay down that preference and to remember your identity is hidden in him alone and that your posture in relationships doesn't have to be angry and proud, that instead it can be listening and humble and that will lead to the kind of life that you've always wanted. You know, another area that I think we, you know, because this is in the realm of identity, right? So anything where we're like trying to find our identity and anything but Jesus, it can tend to lead to this posture of, of angry and bitter and proud and it destroys relationships. And I just, I'm not gonna say a lot on this and I know it's a sensitive subject, but um, the realm of, of sexuality is here too. And there's a lot I could say there, but you know, the scriptures are really clear when it comes to our obedience, right, to Jesus. If we're seeking to align our life with a life that is, is pleasing to God, right, then uh, the scriptures are really clear that like, Sex is, is a beautiful thing that's made between a, a one man and one woman in the covenant bond of a marriage, right? And it has a very specific purpose there and it's beautiful and it's good. But when we say, you know what? I know better. I know, my culture knows better. I, I was talking to a friend last week about this very thing and, and he said, you know, I don't know any, he's a Christian and he said, I don't know anybody living that out. And so I just, this could be a place of conviction for you today that, you know, if, 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 if maybe um, you're exploring sexuality or uh, sex outside of the bonds of, of marriage, um, then I, I just want to invite you that um, maybe this is an area where God's inviting you to say, you know what, lay down your preference, um, lay down that belief that my way is better and trust God in this area of, of your life. Because who you are is not hidden in your sexuality or in, or in those relationships. It's in Christ alone. There's a lot we could say here, but every one of us has a struggle in this area where we say, you know what, my belief is a major belief and I'm gonna like make my life about that instead of about Jesus. And that's what James is saying here. He's saying that sort of human anger, that sort of, of posture does not produce what we think it does. It doesn't produce righteousness that God desires. All right, well, moving on. Um, what do we do once we've said, you know what? Um, I wanna have a listening and a, um, a sensitive spirit, a humble spirit, and I've examined my heart and I've excised um, those beliefs from my head and my heart. What's next? Well, verse uh, 21 invites us to the next phase in our journey. He says, so get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your souls. And so I want to just say to you, there's this idea that deep calls to deep here, that if your life has been transformed by the by power of the resurrection, that you've chosen to follow Jesus, right? Then he's put his spirit in you, right? And God says this throughout the scriptures. He says, I'm going to write my law on, on my people's hearts. I'm gonna put it in, in you. And so if you've decided to follow Jesus, the second thing that's happened to you is an indwelling of the Holy Spirit 
Think about that. The creator of the universe has come and he's taken up residence inside of you. That's the reality if you become a Christian. And so there's a, this deep part of you where God is living, right? And the other place that God's giving you truth is in the scriptures, right? And so when a Christian who's indwelt by the Holy Spirit reads the scriptures, it's not like somebody who's not a Christian reading the scriptures because you have a dynamic of the deep calling to the deep of the spirit of God within you connecting to the word of God that's given us in the revealed word. And that as we read the scriptures, right, then we're invited to make decisions to align our lives with the life of Jesus. And in verse 21, James gives us two very distinct things that I just want to leave with you. He says, get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives, which is this idea of taking off dirty garments. Take off the dirty garments of your life. Things that are filthy and evil and not pleasing to God that you may be doing because you have wrong beliefs and you haven't aligned those beliefs is really this idea of rejecting sin. And so maybe today God's convicting you of a particular sin in your life and we all have one. We all have them. This is a journey. Remember, it's not about arriving as a perfect person. It's about being on this journey. I've, my identity is secure. I've examined the way I'm showing up relationally. Now I'm examining my behavior and saying my behavior matters. What I do matters. And so I want to reject sin in my life, getting rid of filth and evil in our lives, which is a choice that we have to make every single day. And number two, Humbly accept the word of God, which he's planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. So reject sin, number two, embrace truth. And I just want to camp on a couple of words for a second, that he's planted his word in your heart. If you're a Christian, he's put his word in your heart, and you know what right is. And so if, if, if you examine your life and you're honest with yourself and you say, there's things I'm doing on the outside that don't match up with the word of God that's in my heart or in the scriptures, right? Then I have a lack of integrity in my life. And so the invitation is to reject that and instead embrace the word planted in your heart. Why? Because it has power to save your soul. It has power. It has power to transform your life. Let's go back to our question. If I'm a Christian, why is my life still a mess? Maybe it's a mess because I haven't realized my true identity. Maybe it's a mess because I've made like my beliefs, like the big beliefs and I've rejected what God says. Or maybe it's because I'm just daily not picking up my cross and making choices to reject sin in my life. And that Chris talked about that last week, right? That we have pet sins that we feed and feed and feed and feed. And then one day they grow up and they eat us. This is what we're talking about here. And so... The word is clear, reject sin, embrace the truth that he's planted in us. This has the power to transform our lives. Okay, last point, verses 22 through 25 um, give us imagery, right? Um, and it says, just don't listen to God's word, you must do what it says. That's what we just talked about. It's not enough to sit in church and hear it, you have to walk out of here and on Monday morning, you have to say, you know what, I'm not gonna look at pornography. I, I'm not, I'm not going to have sex outside of marriage, even though that's acceptable in the culture. You know what? I'm not going to make my political beliefs destructive in my relationships because that's not the way of Jesus. And we could go on and on and on and on about the various sins that we have, but we're invited 
that we can't just listen, that's not enough. If, if we wanna see a life aligned with the life of Jesus, we must do what it says. It says, otherwise you're fooling yourselves. You're living a life of self-deception. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in the mirror. You see yourself and then you walk away. You forget what you look like. So just a second there. Um, this is like what's right in front of you, what's obvious, what's obvious to people around you that's broken in you, right? You reject if we, don't, if we listen and don't obey. It's like being so forgetful that we, we can't even remember what our own face looks like because the reality is that close in front of us. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free and you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. And here's what I want to leave you with. And this is the encouraging part because maybe you felt convicted today. I hope you felt convicted today because every single one of you has a sin, right? That's holding close. Every single one of us has a wrong belief. Every single one of us has a way that we have not yet really understood identity in Jesus. So I hope you felt some of that today. But here's the encouragement is that our help is close. It's close. And I was reminded reading this um, this idea that if we look carefully into the perfect law that sets us free, which is what? It's Jesus. The law was fulfilled in Jesus, right? You think about his face towards you, it's so kind. And if we obey his commands and we do what he says and we don't forget what he's heard, then God wants to bless you immeasurably. He wants you to flourish. He wants you to be happy. He wants you to be fully present and fully alive as your true self. He wants you to laugh he wants you to be free, but the way to freedom is to choose life. And I was reminded uh, in, in um, Deuteronomy, kind of the same language, um, when God gives the, the law to Moses and Moses gives it to the people, he says, this command I'm giving you today is not too difficult for you. It is not beyond your reach. And I wanted to reiterate that today, that the life you've always wanted, right, it's right in front of you. It's right there. It's not far away. It's not hidden in heaven waiting for you to die and get to heaven. Sometimes I think we have that wrong belief. I'm going to wait until I die and get to heaven. Then my life will be perfect, right? It will be one day. But right now there's something right in front of you that God has for you today. And it's not too difficult for you. It's not beyond your reach. And he, he goes on in Deuteronomy, he says, today I'm giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster, for I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to keep his commands, decrees, and regulations by walking in his ways. So listen, friends, our relationship with God is not restored because we do good things. We are utterly broken. The scriptures tell us we're dead. Our relationship with God is restored fully in faith right, because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. That thousands of years ago, God came to earth as a human form, that he lived a sinless life, that he preached perfect truth, and that he went and he died a horrific death that was meant for you and me, that the penalty for our sins is death. That's what we deserve. But God, because of his infinite love for you, because he desires to call you his beloved son, beloved daughter, because he has your picture in his wallet and he made a way for you to be re restored to him and that is your true identity, is a beloved son, a beloved daughter that he gave his own life for. 
But the command to us, friends, is that as followers of Jesus, we must decide to follow him every day in our beliefs, in our decisions, and in our actions, and that when he does, he invites us to a flourishing, fully present, fully alive life where we are made to be set free. I want to conclude with this. Today is Palm Sunday. Today is the day we remember when King Jesus entered into the city. And some people were prepared for that and some people weren't. But as we think about that, I just want to ask you the question, are you prepared to receive the king into your life fully? And maybe for some of you, you've never thought about that question today. And maybe today, this is the day. This is the day that you're going to meet him. That you're going to find life for the first time. And maybe for some of you, you've found that life, but you've, you've forgotten and, and, and you've been doing your life your own way and your life's a mess and you can't figure out why and maybe today is the day that you say, come Lord Jesus into my life. I choose your way because my way is not working. And so I just wanna pray for you today and I wanna invite that if um, you felt one of those two things that you can pray along with me, let's, let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank you for sending your perfect son into this world we thank you, Lord, that we're made to find our true identity in him alone. Lord, today as we sit with our imperfections, the ways in which we've forgotten you in our words, in our decisions, in our thoughts, Lord, we just come to you and I'm, Lord, I, I just, I wanna pray for my friends here today who've not made a choice to, to follow you yet. And, and if that's you, then I just wanna, um, invite you that you can pray, Lord, Lord Jesus, come. I'm tired of doing life on my own. It's not working out, and I need you. And so I choose you this day. I choose life. So come, Lord Jesus, and be my king today. And if you prayed that, then I, I want you to know that your identity is in the Lord Jesus alone. And we want to talk to you today. And Lord Jesus, I wanna pray for my friends today who've, who've met you and decided to follow you but have forgotten you. Lord, would you come? Lord, would you reveal the ways that we've fallen short? Would you reveal your, our, the sin in our lives, our wrong beliefs that have taken root in our lives? Would you expose us, Lord, that we may be set free and would you cause our eyes to peer into your perfect law, into your face where we find kindness and clarity and so I pray for our church today that you'd move us to repentance, that you'd move us to choose life this day. And we pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.